Brothers and sisters, this is God's word for you this morning. The reading is from Psalm 139 in the New International Version. For the director of music, of David, a psalm. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful to see all of you. We're, we're beginning this year uh, with, with prayer. Teach us, teach us to pray. Taking up that um, sort of phrase, uh, uh, request that, that was on the lips of Jesus' disciples after, after watching his life. Uh, what they wanted to know was, uh, how, how do you pray? Teach us, teach us to pray. Um, we've, we've been saying this uh, the last few weeks. We are relational beings. I don't think that's a revelation to you, um, but we inhabit a relational world. We, we grow in relationship with one another through talking and listening, and we grow uh, in relationship with God through talking and listening. So uh, taking some time out at the beginning of the year to study the sort of most basic essential building block of relationship uh, I think is, uh, is, is really important. Uh, we're, we've also been saying that we're breaking up the, the series into two, two halves. The first half is uh, generally how does uh, prayer affect us? How are we changed by prayer? And the second uh, half is going to be how does prayer change the world? And uh, I don't know how skeptical or uh, already believing you are on either one of those spectrums. How, how has prayer changed your life personally or how does prayer actually affect and change the world? So uh, we're, go- we're going to explore that together. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap, but I just kind of wanted to sketch out for you where, where we're going. Um, 
I also want to say, in case I start to make absolutely no sense, that the last thing I did out in public was this church service um, last week, and then I went home and got the fever, uh, or, or the flu, I think is how they say it, not the fever. Uh, uh, but I just was laid out for six days and did nothing. Um, and so I have, have done no meetings. It's just sort of like I've walked to the bathroom and walked to uh, the bed and uh, sometimes venture to even the couch. Um, but uh, it's the worst. I don't know. I think it's the worst sickness of my adult life. I just want to say to you all, because I was the person who was like, well, I don't get the flu shot. I'm the one year I did, I kind of got the flu already, you know, like, um, get the flu shot, people. <laughs> just humble yourself and go to CVS and get the flu shot. That's, that's what I want to say. Um, so uh, I've asked the people, if I start you know, coughing, we'll, we'll mute the mic for you. Uh, we'll take it off the uh, podcast. Um, if, uh, if I just lay down up here, someone come and finish the sermon. It's right here, and uh, it's a pretty detailed outline. So um, let me say a short prayer uh, since we're talking about prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, in the most simple terms, I just, I think uh, even a little bit so far this morning, the little exchange that happens between us is so good. It is actual like sweetness to my bones um, to just say what's on my heart before you and to receive back your love and your truth and a sense of your presence. And I pray for that exchange to happen for everyone who's here, God, just a little bit where we entrust ourselves to you and you entrust yourself back to us, God, and uh, we just commune with you, God. What a, what a, what a privilege. I mean, we do this every single Sunday, so maybe it would and can feel ordinary to us, but I pray that the, the beauty and the opportunity would not be lost on us, that we are communing with you, God, the, the God of the universe, our, our heavenly Father who knows us through and through and yet loves us all the way, and um, I pray for help, Holy Spirit, uh, that you would take what's planned and that you would say what's prophetic. Um, you'd speak to our very hearts as a community and build us up to be those who, who have great confidence in talking with you and inviting you to search our hearts. So lead us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask you, uh, we, we do these sort of imaginative exercises sometimes at the beginning of talks. They're good ways to, to jump into a subject. But can you uh, think of the most memorable conversation that you've ever had? Some of you are like, no, get on with your point. I'm, I'm imagining if, you, if you're trying to run down the list in your mind, maybe, maybe for you it was... Uh, a confession of, of love for the first time. You're really thinking about that conversation with someone significant to you. Um, maybe it was an all-night conversation with a friend where you just sort of like winded throughout the, the whole night sharing hopes that you had for your life in, in, a, in, a, in a new way. Um, maybe it was a confession uh, of a failure or a betrayal in some way, and it's marked in your memory because you know, you were being so vulnerable and, and, and it was terrifying to entrust someone with that information. Maybe it was a conversation processing doubts that had tormented you for a long time and, and it felt relieving to share them with someone else and to process them with a, a wise friend. 
Uh, maybe it was, you know, like this is New York City. Maybe you've had a bump in with, uh, with some celebrity person. You never thought you'd find yourself in conversation with them, but there's just like you and Tom Hanks on the F train and you're talking about Yahtzee or whatever. I don't know what your most memorable conversation is. Um, but I'm guessing, this is true for me, that the conversations that stick with us the longest, that come back when someone asks a question like that, they usually involve revealing something that's deeply true about ourselves. They usually aren't just about, you know, about the weather, unless it's like, I don't know, a tsunami's on the way. Um, but usually they're about how we see the world or, or what we long for or what we struggle with. They're, there's some deep revelation that takes place in the conversations that are most, most meaningful to us. And, um, <coughs> excuse me. There's a, 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 a power, there's a power in vulnerability that allows us to say to someone else, yes, I, I understand that and I feel understood. Um, that, that is true or, or that reminds me about, uh, of something that's true about me. And I love Psalm 139 because, you know, David is a, is a warrior king and, and his exploits are, we, have, we know more about his life than, than almost anyone else in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. And we know so much of his life was, was like uh, winning battles and on the front line and, 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 and massive amounts of courage. And yet Psalm 139 is a famous prayer of vulnerability. Uh, it's like the prayer of examine that St. Ignatius made famous, if you're familiar with that language, and we'll mention that again. But it is a confession before God of being completely and truly known. And then even once that confession is made, more is shared, which is pretty interesting. It's a confession of being completely known before God. And then it's an admission, if you sort of just go down the psalm, it's an admission that God is accessible anywhere that there's nowhere that you would cry out to God and not be able to find God. And then there's some even more, sort of like kind of out of character for the rest of it by the end, uh, some more kind of embarrassing sharing that takes place. And then at the very end um, is, is a famous invitation, right? If you've heard anything of Psalm 39 or 139, you've probably heard that last part, search me, O God, Test me, know my thoughts, see my anxious thoughts, and then lead me in your way everlasting. So there's an invitation for, for God to fully know the psalmist and then also to transform what you find there, God. Like whatever you really find in the, in the depths of me, will, will you begin to change it? I, I want to confess, um, I've had... Uh, I, I don't think of myself, you know, I'm teaching uh, the, these weeks on prayer, but I don't think of myself as any kind of prayer expert. The things I have learned have been just from, from trying over the course of, of, of the years I have known God. But I have had such meaningful and life-altering times of prayer that, that have followed this model, where I honestly share uh, from the depth of my heart what's going on and, and invite, invite God into, into it where I realized there was something about myself or how I was reacting to the world or, um, yeah, like the sort of sea of my emotions that kept, you know, showing up in a particular way that I wasn't understanding at all. And then in prayer, by inviting God in, there was like light shed on this place that I wasn't aware of. And I'm imagining many of you have had some experiences like that, but I just want to say at the the opening here that... um, 
that it's a profound experience to invite the God of the universe all the way in to your heart. And I want to say this, I I mean, maybe this, my cards are on the table uh, as, as a pastor, but uh, I believe prayer truly does have the power to change things <laughs> and truly does have the power to change us. And I think it's, you know, we've mentioned this before, but if you trace the trajectory of the Psalms, so many of them, they start in a place of like complaint or, or frustration or declaration that some situation in the world is, is absolutely not acceptable. And yet by the end, their perspective, the perspective of the person uh, praying has, has begun to soften, has begun to change, has, has added some nuance. And um, prayer has the power to change things. For some of you, this is the most obvious truth in the world. For some of you, you're like, yeah, that's this type of religious wish fulfillment stuff that I come to expect from religious people, which is why I avoid them. Um, <coughs> I guess the testing ground, though, is to just to start to pray and see if it does, if it does change you. Um, I want to say this. I think each one of us has won um, the part that we allow the world to see the part that we allow strangers and acquaintances to see. This is, this is job interview you. Uh, this is first date you. This is cocktail party self. Um, the, the, the person that you present to someone that you're, you're just getting to know, right? And then there's two. There's the part of yourself that you, that you let uh, you know, your, your closest friends and confidants know, some of you, right, like the, these sort of circles are, are really far divided. Some of you are like, like halfway through the cocktail party, you're like, boom, I'm ready to share with you all that I am. So I'm not saying that we're, uh, or, or like, I don't even have to know you. Here it is on Twitter, boom, 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 my whole life. Um, so I'm not saying that these, these circles are entirely removed, but just so we, we think about them. Uh, it, it, the second part is the part that we allow our closest friends, our confidence, uh, our confidants, our spouses to see. And then the third part of ourselves is the part that we allow no one to see. And Psalm 39 uh, can teach us to pray in a way that opens that third part of ourselves up. We entrust that part of ourselves to God. And many of us who have some practice doing that, you begin to experience such grace and healing that it can, it can give you the courage that maybe, maybe where you would never have shared some parts of yourself with another human being, finally, because of your experience and, and tasting the grace of God, finally you're able to open up even to another human being. So I, I, with, with that, you know, before us, I want to look at the movements of this prayer really quickly. We're not, it was just read for you, so we're not going not gonna to look through it. Uh, not going to read every single verse again, but I want you to see the general movements. And we're going to start with the nice parts. Um, the you know me at the beginning, right? This is how it starts. The, the poetry is, is stirring. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So just, you you trace that down. What's he saying? God, you you know my actions. And that might not, 
take, take very much. Do you know my actions, God? You see what I'm doing because you see what's going on in the world. But then he goes further and says, you know my thoughts. You don't just know uh, my, my outward activity. You know what is preceding that in my thought life. You know my words, God, but, but you know more than just what I'm going to say. You know the intentions behind my words. <laughs> And then I I love the confession in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful, too lofty for me to attain. Basically, I think in a a pretty wise uh, and understanding way, the psalmist is saying there are parts of myself that I can't fathom. (laughs) And there are parts of you, God, that I can't fathom. And so when this mysterious interchange is taking place between us, something is is tapping into the deep mystery of who I am and the deep mystery of who you are. I think we can can admit that we are all, to some degree, mysteries to ourselves. And this is something that I've I've thought about a lot uh, as as an adult, is um, that there are parts of ourselves that do not get expressed until we come into relationship, right? And, and you, maybe you, knew, you saw this as you, as you were growing up, like that um, like the, you, you can be a little bit different with, with one group of friends than you are with, with another. And, and some of that can be posturing and sort of putting on a false self, but others is there's aspects of, of some friendships that draw you out uh, in a way that other people don't. And so parts of who you are get expressed in certain relationships different than they might in others. And C.S. Lewis sort of famously um, uh, po- pointed this out and his, his, his group of friends, the Inklings, uh, he and J.R. Tolkien and some other dude who always gets forgotten um, in the conversation, they used to always meet at this particular pub and they talk about the like famous fantasy works that they were writing and the other guy's like, gee, I don't know, but um, they're like uh, killing it. Um, and, and, and Lewis would talk about how when one of them was gone, uh, he used to think, oh, I'm gonna have more of Charles to myself now, but it was just the opposite because there were things that the other friend drew out of Charles that Lewis never could. And so actually, um, there, there's, there's, like, there's some level of mystery in that, but there's also something that I think we know by experience that there's aspects of compassion or opportunity for forgiveness or a certain type of humor that comes easy to you with a certain person and not, not necessarily with others. With, like, have, you have, have you ever had a friend who was like, I've had friends who were like, I was like, you're really stoic and sometimes basically mean. And then you see, you see them for the first time and, and this person has fallen in love and they're sort of being like cuddly and lovey-dovey and you're like, who are you? What, what's, ha- what's happened to you now? Like you, 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 ne- you never used to be this way. Um, there are parts of ourselves that are drawn out uh, through, through the people that we encounter. <coughs> My finger there. Um, so if that's true with people, I think that's true with God. You know, I, 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 I think as much as you one-on-one can come to know what God is like, Actually, we can't really know the full scope of who God is without community. And we talk about this all the time, that in the, in the very heart of God's character is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So somehow, mysteriously, a being higher than us that is, is three persons in one. And you can't know this God just on your own. You have to know this God in relationship. And so this relational interplay that takes place in, in, in prayer and as we pray together in community is, is, is tremendously important. 
you know me, the psalmist says. And then, then he goes on to say, you are near. Where can, I, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? There's nowhere that I start speaking to God that God cannot hear. He goes on in, in the poetry to say, you created me. I'm not just a random collocation of atoms trying to pass on my DNA. Um, uh, you, you made my soul. I, I am no accident. There, there is care and intention that has been poured into my life. Verse 13, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my, in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. So just think about what the psalmist is already confessing, right? You know me all the way through. You're near. There's nowhere, there's nowhere circumstantially or geographically that I could go to be outside of, of being able to reach you with my voice crying out. You have poured care and intention into my life. I mean, that's a pretty good start. I mean, if every one of you walked out this morning just confident in the very, in your very heart of hearts, circulating in your minds, you knew that God knows you all the way through, that God loves you and is near to you, that God has, has poured care and intention into your life, that you are no accident whatsoever. What a profound thing that would be. How would it change the way we live to know how much we are loved? So everything's basically going along wonderfully in this psalm. But then actually, I think the next verses might be the most important because after all that, all the poetry, you know me, God, you're like a gazelle searching my soul. Everything's fantastic. And then, and then verse 19, he vents. If only, God, you would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Where is he writing? What coffee shop is this? <laughs> this is a dangerous, this is down, this, I don't know where this is. Um, I was going to pick a neighborhood, and then I was like, no way. <laughs> they speak of you with evil intent. Your, adver- <coughs> your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who, who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Now, here's the thing. Like, there's, there's certain aspects I might not have seen in this, but my 12-year-old does, like, or, or my 10-year-old or my 7-year-old, I'm not going to single one out. But if one, of my kids, if one of my kids comes up to me and they say, Dad, I love you. You are amazing. You know me better than anyone. I, I, you, 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 you're wise. You know so much about me. You've always, always been helping me. Literally, all the things you say help me. And I thank you for that. You are a great helper. And then the next thing they say is, now, now, would you buy me some new shoes and would you ground my brother? It sort of casts a light on everything that's been said up to that point. Like I was tracking with you. Yes, you, you are saying kind, loving things about me. But now I know you're just manipulating me. You're just saying these nice things. It's like God, David's been buttering God up the whole time to really get to the thing that he wants. Like, I, like the most memorable parts of Psalm 139, you never hear this part mentioned. Right? Everyone's like, search me, oh God, know my heart. And, People are like, you knit me together in my mother's womb. No one's like, away from me, bloodthirsty. Get my enemies, God. <laughs> but I, I, I think that it's, it has a clue in there for, um, for something really important that has to take place in prayer. Like, in a sense, whatever posturing has to happen, 
Like if you have to go through, like, you know, we, we have a set, a, a set liturgy that we move through every week. And it's like we come in and we call ourselves to worship because sometimes it feels like you're dragging yourself in and you're distracted and you're way down. And so you do, you gotta, like the psalmist does, it's like, say to my soul, praise the Lord. You, you do, you call yourself out of like just the ordinary drudgery of the commute to this space and you, you call yourself into worship. And then, and then you're adoring God with a, with a song of praise and you're saying, no matter what I feel like, my circumstances are moved, I'm gonna say that God is true. God is present, God is here. His, his word is from everlasting to everlasting. I'm going to sing praise to God. And then I come into an awareness of God's presence. And in God's presence, I realize there's things about me and things about my week that I need to get off my chest, that I need to say to God. And so what do we do next? We have confession and assurance of pardon. And we, we move through this process of, of venting our hearts to God, of saying like, practice steps along the way of, of communing with God and intimacy. And that's what's taking place in Psalm 139, David is saying the things that he knows to be true about God. He's, he's, in a sense, even warming up his own heart. And then he's getting to the place where he's like, and by the way, I have to say this. Blah. And he gets it off his chest. He vents his heart to God. He's, he says, search me, oh God. And oh, here's what I found. Yeah. And that's why... <laughs> I promise you, this was not an entire lead up to tell you to come on time to church, but that's why the whole process is important, is that we're, we're moving together to that place where we can say, okay, right, maybe not in, in minute one, but by minute 20, in the presence of God, I'm willing to say, this person is driving me crazy, God, and I know I'm supposed to be loving and forgiving, but I would like to strangle them. What can we do about them, God? Can you do something about them? Um, And so he finally gets to the place where the real part of his heart is exposed. And even then, right, even though he said all these true things about God and he's finally gotten to this ugly true thing about himself, I need you to crush my enemies to smithereens. Then he still goes back and says, and I bet there's still something I haven't covered. So he ends with this humble request for searching, for guidance, and then for change. I don't want you just to know me, God. I want the things that you find when you uncover the chest at the bottom of all the chest and you pull the thing, I want you to, to transform it. I want you to heal it. I want you to speak life and resurrection to that place in me and make me, make me new. So a humble request for searching for guidance for change. Search me, God, and know me. Test me, know my anxious thought. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Because every one of us are something of a mystery to ourselves, we have to ask God to search us. This is, this is how we surprise ourselves either positively or negatively. I never thought I'd be able to do that or I never thought that I would do that. I, I promised myself I was never gonna do this again. This is not what I intended. How, how, how have I ended up here, right? Because we're something of a mystery to ourselves, we have to ask God to search us. Look at my motives, God. Look at my loneliness. Look at my anger. Look at my fear. Look at my lust. Look at my ambition. Look at my creativity. Look at this idea that I have. Look at this thing that's been swirling around. 
I love how Philip Yancey puts this. It occurred to me one day that though I often worry about whether or not I sense the presence of God, I give little thought to whether God senses the presence of me. When I come to God in prayer, do I bear the deepest, most hidden parts of myself? Only when I do will I discover myself as I truly am, for nothing short of God's light can reveal that. I feel stripped before that light, seeing a person far different from the image I cultivate for myself and for everyone around me. God alone knows the selfish motives behind every act, the viper's tangle of lust and ambition, the unhealed wounds that paradoxically drive me to appear whole. Prayer invites me to bring my whole life into God's presence for cleansing and restoration. Self-exposure is never easy, but when I do it, I learn that underneath the layers of grime lies a damaged work of art that God longs to repair. If we're going to be people of prayer, we have to learn the simple activity of searching prayer, of searching our hearts, of searching God, and inviting him to search us. So in a practical way, because I I really hope that these will not just be something that is inspiring us to to pray, but giving us really practical handholds and footholds in the the journey of prayer. What what, what are the type of uh, of things that come to surface when we ask God to search us? And and, and the final verses give us a clue. It it says, see if there's any offensive way in in me. And then the second part is, and, and then lead me in the way everlasting. So two things we can expect to happen in searching prayers that God will begin to, to reveal ways, uh, offensive ways, and ways that are out of line, ways that are, that are, that are uh, dis- disproportionately you know, uh, weighted to one side over here, and then will lead us in the way everlasting. So um, I, 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 I put a list of, of, of ways that God might uh, re- reveal offensive ways in, in, in us, he might reveal wounds and, and lies and addictions and idols that we're holding on to. We're going to go very quickly through each of those. And then lead me in the way everlasting. What would that look like? I, I, I think it would look like the, reminding us of his gifts, of his promises, of the passions that are, that are in our life, of, of, of God's presence, which leads to, to adoration and worship. So we're going to cover these really quickly so we're, we're on the same page. So these offensive ways, as God's spirit searches us, Sometimes we, we come across a wound that we, uh, maybe we weren't specifically intentionally aware of, places we're still hurting, places that we're nursing a grudge, places that we're protecting ourselves in fear because we're, we're determined not to get, to get hurt like, like that again. As, as, as the Spirit of God searches the, those places, Right, that first exposure that there's a wound there might, not, might, be, might be right quite painful, but it's also the first step on the journey to healing. It ha- we, we have to know what's really going on because we can operate around a wound so much in our life. We, we accommodate it. We make room for it. We, and we don't even realize how much space it's taking up in our life. And another thing that, that gets exposed in searching prayer are, are lies that we have believed about God or about ourselves, something that's, that's not true, but we're holding on to it and is doing damage to our soul, right? These are the anxieties that, like they're no, that maybe they're normal concerns, but we've given them such fuel that they play on a near constant loop in our mind 
or, or the depressions that weigh us down. And we're like, I, I don't even know where some of these emotions come from, but they sort of creep over me and they're like weighing me down. They're like a vine or a cloud or whatever the metaphor is and they're, they're holding on to me. God, would you help expose anything that I've believed that is damaging my soul? What are the wounds I've, I've in, have been inflicted on me or, or I've inflicted on others? What are the lies that I have believed? And then addictions and obsessions, right? <coughs> Something, the, the things that we've turned to to cope with life or to give us significance or, or an, an accomplishment that we use to define our worth. What are the things that, that are, are at the top of your mind when you wake up in the morning and the last thing that you're thinking about as you go to sleep? These are the things that searching prayer begins to help expose. And then our idols, right? These are, are, I'm imagining most of you don't have, have, have you know, metal or wooden carved objects in your home that you bow down and pray to, but what are the things that can demand your attention, your energy, and your affection, and you will not say no? Whatever those things are, those, those are near to the place where God is supposed to reside in your life. What is the thing that basically like, consumes your life and draws you to worship. Searching prayer helps to expose those things. But the exposure is always for healing. Uh, This is uh, our our pre-service prayer team. Uh, By the way, we have a pre-service prayer team. um, And they get here before before all of us and uh, while while the the kids' ministry is being set up and they're setting up in here, they're, they're, they're pleading with God for the spiritual work that's going to take place in, in this building every, every Sunday. And one of the persons from the pre, pre-service prayer team came up to me and just said, I was so impressed on my heart that the searching, like if, if you're at a place where, where, where you're timid to let God search you because if I do, I know he's going to find something that he's going to want me to give up. And if I give that thing up, then what's my life going to be? Maybe you're like, it's going to be boring or it's, or it's going or, or, or to lack the energy and passion that it's had before. or I, Whatever you imagine would be true. The reason God is searching you, the reason God is putting his finger on these things is so that he can lead you in the way everlasting. In the scriptures, repentance and self-denial and, and giving something up is never the end in itself. It is always so that you can receive the life that comes from God. And so what might we expect if we practice searching prayer and we say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Find these offensive ways in me and then lead me in the way everlasting. And so we receive his gifts. We're reminded of the gift of life, all the gifts that we have received. We are drawn to gratitude one of the most powerful forces in the world for lifting us up is to begin to name the things that we are grateful for. And then pro- and the promises of God. Second Peter 1 has this mysterious uh, phrase that says that followers of Jesus participate in God's nature through God's promises and it's something I've turned over in my, in my mind and heart for, for, for years now, that you can actually participate, meaning that you have a share in the very nature and character of God by taking hold of God's promises and living as if they're true. And when you pray searching prayer, God begins to expose what's there in you, but not just to leave it there, but to replace it with his promises. Many of you, as, as you pray, you'll be reminded of things that are true for every one of us in the word of God, but also some of you will be reminded of specific prophetic words or specific encouragements that have been spoken over you. When Paul writes to Timothy 
And he's dealing with like the, the, the tension of, of, uh, of, of leading the church in Ephesus and he's dealing with some health problems and maybe he's feeling on the verge of, of wanting to, to give up. Paul writes to me and says, remember the words that have been spoken over you, the prophetic promises that have been spoken over you and use those to fight. Use those to fight. Use those to keep going. The way God leads us in the way everlasting is he reminds us of his gifts, of his promises, and of, of, of our own passions, the, the specific ways. Like when God searches us, we're reminded of the very specific ways that we have been made, the unique passions that God has, has given us, the things that we care about most, the things that we begin to pray, God, would your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in this particular way? And the last thing is, is I believe that leads us to to adoration and to worship, reasons to worship God, attributes that come to our hearts and minds. So search us, O God. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. How you doing? All right. Five days can be super fast. Or if you have the flu and a fever... Five days can literally feel like forever. Um, so I did a lot of thinking over, over, over this past week. Um, I did some praying, um, not, not, not a terrible amount. Um, I did a lot of feeling sorry for myself, and I did a few terrifying moments realizing that things could get worse on WebMD. Um, <laughs> but uh, two or three nights ago, I was, I was laying in my bed, um, and I'd slept literally the entire day. So it's weird to like have been up for one hour and then be like, nine o'clock, guess I'll go back to bed. Um, and I was laying there and I couldn't quite, couldn't quite get to sleep and I was just turning things over in my mind and sort of praying and sort of reading and sort of like just tossing and turning and then sort of coughing and then sort of being annoyed at, at everyone. Um, and my mind was brought back to last Lent. <coughs> Excuse me. And last Lent, um, I was like, I hadn't really done anything for Lent in a few years. And I was like, I'm a pastor. I should do something. Um, and, uh, and so I was like, I'm going to do a super Lent. And um, I'm going to kill it on Lent. And I'm not going to eat any food. And I'm going to read the whole Bible in 46 days. And uh, basically, don't tell people when you're fasting. Um, I think that's a general rule. Just keep that between you and God. But I, this, is, this is a long time ago, so um, I can tell you now. But So I was fasting from solid food during Lent, and I had, had, I had broken it out that if I read like basically an hour and a half every day, I can get through the whole Bible in 46 days. Wouldn't that be fantastic? I'll finish the whole thing in Lent, and it'll just be all right there, really, really fresh. And so the second Sunday in Lent, so it's like day 14 of this uh, no eating and reading of the Bible a lot, um, a man came up to me with a request, and it wasn't like anything I'd ever gotten. He had sort of lingered with uh, his, his daughters in the back, and he came up to me, and I could tell he was vis- visibly upset. And uh, he asked me, um, basically like right after introducing himself, if I would do his wife's funeral that week. And I was like, yeah, um, Yes, can you tell me more? And she had come one time to Trinity Grace Park Slope, and she had been in a 12-year battle with cancer, and she had just lost that battle that, that, that week before. And she had had a really meaningful time in 
in Trinity Grace Park Slope, and she had made her daughters promise that they would come back and go to the service with her, but she didn't make it long enough for, for that to happen. And so the father and the daughters come up, and they ask me if I will participate in, in leading the, their fu- the funeral. I'm like, oh, my gosh, yes, absolutely. Thank you for asking. Let's get together this week. I'd like to hear your wife's story and get to know more about her, so I'm prepared, prepared, to, do the, uh, prepared to do the service. So... Um, I, I, uh, I was walking to meet them to plan that service when uh, our community went through uh, the tragic accident that we, we experienced last year with, uh, on, on 9th Street and all that uh, is associated with that. And, um, you know, such a, challenge, su- such a challenging time. And it was like um, just baffling to know, you know, how so much can come crashing in all at once. And um, so I find out about this accident and my wife is there on, on, on the scene and um, I don't know exactly what to do except I'm supposed to meet these people in 15 minutes to start going over this and I think I'm gonna cancel. And then Allison looks me in the eyes sort of like holds me by the shoulder and she's like, don't cancel on them, just go, put it out of your mind for half an hour, figure out what needs to happen in this funeral and then, then go to the hospital. So... That's what I did, and um, and uh, I kept my fast going for uh, for two days or so, but I stopped, and it was right at day twenty, and I I I had this really distinct memory. I was at the reception for this family's funeral, and um, I walked in and no, you know, like don't know anyone there, don't know exactly what to say, um, just a visiting minister trying to participate, and I was like. I'm going to eat and drink with these people. And so I stopped fasting right then, right then and I sat down with them. And I tell you all this um, because it's on one level like the least important thing that happened in, uh, in all of those, those days and weeks and months are, are, are around. But um, for some reason, having the flu reminded me of that because it was at the new year and I had all these plans for um, how I was gonna like, have my personal rhythm be different, how my prayer commitment that I'm making with all of you uh, to, to, to pray more, to, to read more. Like, and I just was laying there and it just hit me how often I think about my place as so significant or so important that I have to like, fast and do this, do this new thing and like show God that I'm really serious or make these resolutions or make these plans and, and then something will happen and it will absolutely like totally redirect the plan, right? Like, of course, the thing to do was to move in with that, with that family in that moment. And, the, and of course, the thing to do is, what can I do? My body has stopped working properly. I have to lay down here for five days. Um, but I was just finally venting to something in my soul that I had sort of kept covered by a whole bunch of things of like, I'm not supposed to say this, I'm not supposed to feel this. I'm not. And I was like, I'm mad, God. I'm mad that I keep making these plans to be better person. I think you want me to like make these changes. I keep making the, the, trying to make the changes and then it seems like you just come along and just knock me off course. What's going on? What are you, what are you doing? And I'm laying there just thinking about these things and how 
They all intersect in how, even in the horror of some of those weeks of last year, I saw God's power and presence and love show up in in some of the most meaningful ways I ever have. I saw courage and faith um, displayed in ways that were so profound and so Basically, I'm venting my heart to God. I'm like, show me. Show me what I'm not seeing here. And I heard not an audible voice, but as loud as an audible voice in my bedroom, sick, coughing, feverish, go back to where you left off. Find me in the process. I have forever. Those three words came so clearly into my heart. Go back to where you left off. Find me in the process. I have forever. It was a moment. Full confession, like I did zero sermon preparation the entire week until yesterday because I was so sick. But this was the most important moment of sermon preparation this week was a moment of honest searching prayer and God speaking back to me the way of everlasting life. Go back to where you left off. Find me in the process I have forever. I don't know if those can possibly ring for you with the meaning they had for me, but basically it was like God was saying, son, I see the good that you began and none of what you started in those endeavors has been lost. And you can simply return at any time to any one of those resolutions or plans or, or programs. You can go back at any moment. And it's not like I'm like, you gotta start over. You didn't do it right. Go back to where you left off. I'm right here. I'm your father. I delight in you. I love you. Every time you make a plan to honor and, 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 and follow me, I, I celebrate that. I'm right alongside you. But there still is profound resistance in the world. There still is brokenness. There still is death. There still is tremendous things that we're contending against, that my kingdom is contending against. Go back to where you left off. And then this, really important, find me in the process. I've always been like, God's been leading me in this in the last few years so much. I always have been a special occasion specialist. (laughs) Like give me the race day or the big event or the crisis, that's the moment for me. And God's like, I want you to learn how to do ordinary days. (laughs) I want you to learn to, to love the process when it's not spectacular. And And I can't even go into all the different metaphors that God has been using to talk to me about tra- training uh, for, for ordinary days to find, to find joy in relationship with God, in relationship with my family, in relationship with, with the things God has called me to. But find me in the process. And then the last was, I have forever. And that was just like into my sick room. Uh, that realization about the character of God and and the reality of God flooded in. I have forever. Like, what if God is like, I have forever. I have as long as it takes. And then when, as long as it took, guess what? I still have forever. 
right? Eternity is written in our hearts. It's something that's so almost impossible to fathom. But what if, what if God is the most patient in the world because God knows he has forever? And the change that I wanna see in me and the change that I wanna see in the world, I wanna see it right this very second. And sometimes there is a, a, a place for holy urgency. Don't get me wrong. But it was so comforting to hear God say, that as limited as I am, God has forever. And it's, I've got great plans for this year. I know what I'm gonna do. I know we're gonna, our staff is going in, in this direction. It's gonna be, I, I've got these important things. Oh, I'm laid down for one week and can do nothing. That's humbling. And also really helpful, though I never need to learn that lesson again. I just want to say this to you, church. I'm learning with you. If you will invite God into the real and even hidden and unknown, disappointed, painful, agonizing parts of your life, he will come in, he will speak, and he will lead you in a way that is real life, a way that is everlasting. Let me say this to spark your hope. The best is yet to come for you. If you are united to Jesus, and you are a person of resurrection, and you are going to go through death like a comma, and the sentence is gonna go on and on and on and on. He has forever, and we talk so much about his kingdom coming now on earth as it is in heaven because we need some holy urgency a lot in our life. But I love that Lewis says, the people who have done the most good in, in the temporal now are those who have the longest view of God's forever, of his eternity. If you need a place to start this week with searching prayer, um, you can pray the prayer of examine, St. Ignatius. It's just a way to end your day. Basically, it takes 10 minutes to pray through your day and ask God to direct your attention to things, to confess them and to have him heal them. Um, You can look up prayer examine on Google and you'll get some good examples. I will commit to you. We'll put a really uh, solid one on the website this week um, and uh, we'll, we'll blast it out through all the social media but prayer of examine is a great place to start with, with searching prayer. If you want to just take Psalm 39, 139, pray Psalm 139 and then sit in silence for five minutes. That's a fantastic way to begin practicing searching prayer. You can journal your soul to God. This is something that I find really, really helpful. And then once you journal, right, once, once David had gotten it all out, then he was like, okay, now show me more. Show me the thing that I missed. Show me the thing that I didn't see. This is where we're gonna end. And then I think maybe most appropriately, we're just gonna have a moment of silence where you can do this yourself. Search me, God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Come Holy Spirit right now to your children. Search us, God. Look through our minds, look through our hearts, look through the places that we're holding on to tension and anger and fear. Show us our addictions and obsessions, God. Show us the the lies that we've believed. Show us something that has taken your place in our life. 
And God, may we release those things to you so that we can receive your everlasting life again. Your gifts and promises, the passions you've put in our heart to worship you. Come Holy Spirit, lead us in this time. In Christ's name, amen.